Welcome to the second episode of Why Christ. Today I'm here with Wyatt yet again, and we are here to talk about sin and all of its drastic effects on humanity, and more importantly, what even is sin? And why Christ matters as an antidote for sin. Alrighty, so last week we released our first episode of Why Christ, and we basically just talked about a lot of the different issues and things that we're going to be discussing. Uh, we, we talked about God and Jesus and all those those great things. But this week I, I wanted to talk about a, a pretty serious discussion that we're, we're going to have. But it's something that personally I've, I have I struggled with a lot when I first became a Christian. And it was one of the reasons that I didn't even want to become a Christian to begin with is because the, at least the idea of sin that was taught to me originally didn't really make a lot of sense, didn't seem to have any rationality. It seemed like God was kind of just giving us this massive rule book and then anyone who doesn't possess the rule book was kind of just going to be damned to eternal torment forever. And that just sounded really, really unjust to me. And it was it was really unfair because... I was taught that God was a just God, but that didn't seem very just to me. But so we're going to be talking about sin and and its effects on humanity, where it came from, and more importantly, what it is and why that makes Christ even more important than we discussed last time. So uh, I'm going to have you start us off here. But what do you think? Let's just as a broad general uh, definition, what do you think sin is? Okay. Um, In order to answer that question, I'm going to start with the beginning. Okay, and in, in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth, and he creates all the living creatures, the things that live within the sea, the air, and on land, and he creates man. And everything is within perfect order. Creation is a reflection of God's higher state of being. But sin enters into the world, right? And it just mucks everything up. And so sin is the personal manifestation and the introduction of chaos into an already chaotic world through the selfish intention and preceding action um, of the individual. Hmm. So so it has a couple qualifications, um, and we'll talk about that a little bit more and expand on it. But sin takes place in the heart before it's acted out, and the action um, isn't necessarily, necessarily a qualification for sin, but it is something that is a part of sin most often. Um, and that sin has a, a ripple effect on, on the natural world, regardless of whether or not any sort of action is connected to it. Mm. Alrighty. Yeah, no, I, I think you're exactly right. One of the things that I've, I've kind of, and this analogy helped me, it might help people understand this, this idea, but I, I've always pictured God in, in not in this sense as kind of like this, this perfect engineer, for lack of a better word, right? And and God is designing and and creating this this magnificent machine to call it. And well, that machine is the universe, right? And it has all these working parts. They all work together. They all go together. Um, and it and it's all a really good glorification and image of who God is and his and his magnificence, right? And one of the coolest parts that he put on his machine. And he decided that the most valuable, the most important part of his entire machine, the part that he loved the most, was this part of the machine that was able to decide exactly how it wanted to live, how it wanted, to, what it wanted to do, what its purpose was. He wanted he wanted that part of the machine to reciprocate with with that what we'll call free will, right? He wanted to uh, the that part of the machine to use that free will to love him back, right? To to glorify him in in that relationship. 
But but in order for it to truly get to decide, it had to decide to either love him or to hate him. And I think, unfortunately, we've all decided to hate him at, at least some at least once. Of our life. Yeah, at least one time. And due to that, the entire machine is malfunctioning. The yep. entire machine is breaking down and it's it's being destroyed. It's burning up. It's just chaotic. So not and not only the the free will aspect has that that uh, of sin has that uh, spiritual personal like uh, relationship with God and it's damaging that, but it's I think it's really having a physical impact on the universe around us. But what do you think about that? I think you are correct in, in that assumption. Um, one thing I'd like to make clear is that God still has a certain level of control over creation. Mm-hmm. It's just that He sees beauty in permitting our autonomous action especially in a fallen world um, and and that true love between man and God requires that freedom so it's not like God is going to control every aspect of creation and there's a certain level of predestination but there's also um, a more relevant term that has replaced predestination and that's called providence you know it's it's God interacting with creation and constantly, saving face and almost doing damage control uh, consistently. Um, And back to what you were saying, um, sin essentially walks away from God's plan, but sin can also be used as some integral part of God's plan. One of my favorite sentences in the Bible is actually the introduction of Revelations, and I might not quote it uh, perfectly, but it says, even the power of evil unwittingly carries out the divine plan of God. And because God is all-knowing and omnipotent and omnipresent, he is able to use even the good, the bad, and the ugly to bring about his greater glory and his divine plan. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to ask you, where where do you think sin originated from? Because from what we know, it's been a constant state of being. You know, as a matter of fact, even within the womb, we were exposed to sin because of original sin, mm-hmm. right? So where yeah. did it come from? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something that I think has a, a few levels to it. So first, the, the simple answer is, as, as Christians, we believe that the, the Bible is the inspired word of God, right? It's going, to, it's going to reveal to us truths about the world. So let's start with that before we move to the philosophical slash theological. So the Bible just says... Pretty plain and simple that uh, the Adam and Eve, uh, which were the, the for people that don't know the the original humans, right? They were they were they were given free will, but their their free will was limited in to, in terms of their choices, right? They pretty much only had one thing they weren't allowed to do, which was eat of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the only thing they weren't allowed to touch. Everything else they could pretty much do, but that was the one thing they weren't allowed to do, and they did it, right? It was the willful disobedience. Uh, of 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 Adam or Eve, depending on or both of them, depending on uh, on your, your interpretation of that, which we can talk about in a bit. Um, but regardless, it was the willful disobedience uh, of 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 them that resulted in sin entering the world. And I think sin is is two things. I think it's I think it's actually some sort of force because I, it, when the Bible says that when sin entered the world, it actually corrupted things. It made thorns grow on plants and it made it brought death with it into the world. And it had like a physical impact on, on the world, mm-hmm. but it also had a personal impact, a spiritual impact, where it's basically just making this, this massive gap between God and us. And so I think that's 
And that's really where it originated from was, was that initial sin. Now, the, the, there's two questions, though, is with what you said that we were, we, we were kind of born into sin. Now, I think that's misunderstood by most people, and this might be where we disagree, but I actually don't think that I was born a sinner. I think I was born into sin. What I mean by that is I was born with the, the effects of sin. I was born with a mortal body. Yep. I was born with a body that's going to get sick. It's mm-hmm. going to die. Um, I'm going to get diseases. I might not be perfectly healthy. I, I had physical problems. I probably look really ugly compared to Adam and Eve. And I'm even ugly in today's standards, but even more so to Adam and Eve. They were probably perfect images of, of, of like perfection. Sure. Um, and we've just gone downhill since then. But I think that's like the sinful. That's what it means to be born into sin. I don't think I was born a sinner because. Hold this, on, hold on. Before yeah, you go too yeah, far sorry. also. Um, <laughs> To, to kind of expand on what Levi yeah. is saying right here, um, and he's very right. We're not born sinners. You don't have sinner babies with these mischievous and um, deceitful thoughts uh, rolling around in their, their infant minds. <laughs> what we mean by that is that knowledge of good and evil allows us the opportunity to choose sin. Mm-hmm. So these evil options become apparent to us and we're able to see the, the immediate benefits of choosing sin over a higher state of being, which in a fallen world is, is so much more difficult to pursue. Mm-hmm. And so that's all I really wanted to say. You're more than welcome to continue. Yeah, no, I, I thank you for adding that in because the, the next part of it, which the second part of sin isn't the one you're, the physical impact that you're born with that produces your death, disease, all of that. Mm-hmm. It's the, it's the, the personal decisions to sin, yes. right? The ones that you're actually in control over. It, and I think almost all of them, and this might be a a, a general rule you can place on almost any sin, but the, I think the, a good general rule is that sin comes from a place of selfishness. Yes. I think that that's the root of maybe all sins. I haven't discovered a sin that doesn't fit this rule yet, but I'm not saying there isn't one. And if you can figure a sin out that isn't rooted in selfishness, comment below. We'd love to know. Yeah, seriously. I, I, I'm trying to yeah. figure out a sin that doesn't root in selfishness. But, Please challenge this theory. <laughs> but so far, that has been every sin comes from that root of selfishness. So it's when – because I don't think sin actually comes from any action. This is really what I want to get to is I don't think there's an action in sinning. And one of the greatest examples of this is um, let's take let's take killing somebody, okay? There, there's, there's three different types of killing, okay? There's – there's the you kill something to hunt it, right? Like you hunt a a, a moose for food so or, practical purpose. Yeah, a practical a practically kill. Then there's killing for self defense purposes, okay? Right? And you're 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 maybe trying to save a loved one or yourself, right? And you kill them in the in the aspect. And then there's uh, I would actually add there's another one. I think there's merciful killing too. I think you could if you're on a soldier on a battlefield and you're you see your comrade being dragged away. And you kill them so they don't get tortured by the enemy. Like that's a, another version of a of a kill. Sure. And the last type, which I think is the only sinful type of killing, which would be labeled murder. With that, malice? With malice intent. If you kill somebody with malice or another word would be selfish intent in your heart that you really want to do evil, do harm to that person with the primary objective, to primary heart's intent is to do evil to like you you do it out of hatred you do it because it, they they rubbed you the wrong way they they got and they uh, they cut you off in in, in traffic and you decided to kill them for it <laughs> that's a far-fetched example but okay. <laughs> it, it is it is for sure but the the general idea is the only sinful type of killing is when you're doing it with malice or selfish intent right sure 
And so that's the, the idea I'm trying to get across is that it's not the action to do it, right? The same action applied in all the circumstances I gave you. The only difference was my heart's intent in doing so, right? So I think that's really, really the the root of it all really is, is that, is that intent, that heart's deceit, the heart's malice intent to hurt somebody else, to do them harm is what leads to that. So hold on, before we go too far, you did open up Pandora's box in a sense when you, when you claim that mercy killing in action is not necessarily a sin because that could potentially be used as justification for euthanasia right. and abortion. Right. So in euthanasia's, um, in euthanasia's uh, aspect, mm-hmm. how, how is that a sin or what's the uh, circumstance like? Um, could you kind of explain that a little bit and, and how that comes into play? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and more specifically, not from the physician's standpoint, but from the individual who wants to receive the euthanasia, mm-hmm. because that's where the sin really would be. Right. So it would, there, it's, it's a really good question. So with all sin, in my opinion, I think it's really dangerous to kind of use blanket terms to cover everything. Sure. Because I think, I, I think within the blanket of euthanasia, I think there's probably some instances where I think their heart was in the right place. Maybe the physician was saw their patient and they were like, you're really in pain. Like I, I, and they had no malice intent. They really were doing it in a loving way. And then really just, they killed them to, to be merciful, right? Their their intent was to be merciful. Um, Now, my personal view is that I don't want to, I don't want to be the arbiter of, of, when someone dies, right? I'm, yeah. I probably wouldn't do that in, in any circumstances. We're not really qualified for that job. Right. But that doesn't mean that I, I would be sinning if I decided to do it. I think there are sinful ways to do it. Like the other one you gave is what about the person on the deathbed? Yep. Now that, that would be, I would think that's closer to suicide than euthanasia really. And wouldn't the sin be kind of subverting God's plan and, and his providence and his timing? And and choosing your own timing over God's. Well, it, it, that's one way to look at it, but then you would have to say that you you. I think that you would have to say that you're you're more powerful than God in some sense to be able to override His plan. I mean, I think His His plan's pretty set in stone. He's got it. He knows what's going to happen. It's not like you're going to change that. Okay. Um. I think I think even think there are there are circumstances where even suicide would be justified, but it'd be really ran far between. But Regardless of that, it's all about your intentions. For example, with suicide, if you're just on your deathbed and you're just trying to eliminate your pain, I could. It might be. I. I. The, the hardest thing with this discussion yep. is I can't see their heart. Yep. That's that's what the point I'm trying to get to. And I can't see their heart. That's one reason why it's extremely important that we follow Christ's advice and we don't judge each mm-hmm. other. And one aspect of this that's often overlooked is that we can't judge ourselves. And I don't think that judging means to create inferences and to create opinions because God gave us that rational mind that would allow us to create opinions about things. Mm-hmm. I think it's a sin not to think enough to have opinions about things, your own opinions. Um, what he means by judge, I think, is to condemn. Mm. I think it's a sin to condemn other people based upon their actions because you can't see their heart. And I think it's also a sin to condemn yourself based upon your actions because... You know, our mind is valuable and we, we tend to remember what's negative just because that's evolutionary advantageous. Yeah. But 
we don't know the full story and we can't see the full context of our heart. It's very much hidden from us and it's not entirely rational like our mind is. Yeah, I generally agree with you, but there's, there is a few, I'm going to push back a little bit because there's some circumstances where I think it would be, I think righteous to condemn, especially for the most horrendous crimes. I know, I know what you're saying, you're saying that it's, you, you don't know the full context of somebody's, of somebody's suicide, or maybe they, they stole bread to save their kids, right? And so maybe there's, there's some context there that's important for us to know, but there's some crimes, some, some sins so horrendous that I don't see there being an excuse for where you could be like, oh, that there is some context there that I didn't realize. And, and so then condemnation would be a good thing. Well, condemnation within the world, like sending somebody to jail or sentencing somebody even mm. within the most extreme circumstances to death, that's a different story than, than murdering them in your heart and saying that soul is going to burn in hellfire. Mm. I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you then. You know, we, we are given the authority and the permission and the privilege to develop our own social structures in which we can have that order of law. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I think that it would be very foolish for us to, to take that thou shall not judge command yep. so literally that there is absolutely no law and we're an anarchy state. Yep. And it's all, it would also be really hypocritical for us to, to, like you were saying, condemn somebody to hell Yes, in, in terms of like, who are you? Who are you to condemn somebody to hell? You're just as a sinner as somebody else. And it's not to say that that person might have done a more horrendous sin than you, but it is to say that both of your sins deserve judgment under God. Mm-hmm. Now, the punishment that God dishes out might be different depending on the sins you committed, but you both deserve judgment. You both deserve punishment. And so it's really hypocritical for us to cast stones at people who who are sinners just as i am i want i i'm asking god for mercy but if i'm not willing to grant somebody else mercy if i'm saying well yeah i'm i'm good enough to save but not that guy that's that's completely foolish and one of the things that i think the christian church struggles with the most within its within its boundaries um yeah i have to agree with you a uh a good analogy for it is uh our souls at best are naked and otherwise they are clothed in sin and something that's more understandable to the average person is that we all are a glass house and if we cast stones we are just as vulnerable as our target Mm -hmm. however have you ever seen jesus christ superstar I don't think so. Okay, it's a musical. I wouldn't expect you to, honestly. <laughs> it's at this point not a, a well-known musical, um, but I think it's a very good one. And one point I'd like to make is in Jesus Christ Superstar, um, Judas actually has this dance scene where he's with angels and he's in heaven and he's clothed in white and he is dancing in joy for the, the sake that he was saved. And that's a point I'd like to make because... Christ's sacrifice is big enough to, to cover any sin, mm. you know, um, even Hitler's at, mm. at the most extreme example. And some of you might might take that as a very repugnant idea, but that is because you were condemning Hitler within your own heart. In a worldly circumstance, that man was a horrendous man, um, but we can't judge for the quality of his soul. We can make inferences and opinions about mm. the quality of his soul, but we cannot within our hearts condemn Hitler to hell and, and wish hellfire upon Adolf Hitler. In the same sense, I think that Judas, right, somebody who played a, a key role in in killing Jesus, even mm-hmm. if that was a necessary part of God's plan mm-hmm. 
I think Judas is still capable of receiving forgiveness from God because of Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll get to why Christ is important a little bit more a little bit later down the line. Um, but we kind of covered euthanasia yeah. uh, with uh, several examples, and, and we still left it open-ended enough for you to make your own opinions given what we've said. But I'd like to move to abortion at this point okay? because that's the real Pandora's box. Yeah. And as Christians, it is, it is our responsibility almost, and, and that's one qualification of sin. Um, the lack of sin requires responsibility, right? It is mm-hmm. our responsibility to choose God over sin. And I think that oftentimes in accordance with selfishness, the – the rejection of responsibility is also one of the root causes of sin. Yeah. Um, but I think it's an accompanying uh, cause. I don't think it's the root, more like the stem. Mm. Okay. And the leaves might be uh, the actual fruit of that sin. But in which context um, or how how is abortion a selfish act? Mm. Or is there any context at all in which abortion would be acceptable? Because couldn't abortion in, in some contexts be mercy killing? Yeah, and, no, I, and the short answer is yes. And and to say, but, but I want to first put it like this: I'm as pro-life as it gets. I, I anyone that knows me, I'm very, 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 very pro-life. However, the legality of something and the sinfulness of something are two different things completely. Yep. And it's 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 impossible for me to tell a a 16 year old girl that who who had an abortion that she did a sin. Because and it's important to especially in today's society to note that because. One of the things that we addressed with sin is your intent to do so, or intent to commit that crime. Right? It is. It is. And I'm going to paraphrase this, this verse. It's in James. But I'm going to paraphrase it badly, but it's it's someone who knows what is wrong and chooses to do wrong. Right? Or knows to do good and chooses to do otherwise. Right? I thought it was First Timothy. Or maybe it's First Timothy. It's somewhere in the Bible. It's somewhere there. But <laughs> but one of the things that that the girls have been told, especially within the last. 10 years is that the what's growing inside them isn't a unique human being. It is a clump of cells, right? That's the kind of phrase yeah. we use, right? A very so, detached medical definition. Right. So if you, but if you truly believe that what's inside you is just a clump of cells and you're like, Hey, you know, what? we're just going to vacuum that thing out of there. We're just going to yank it out uh, and we'll get it out of there. It's, it's not a human baby. It's just a clump of cells. I don't think you'd be sinning and saying, okay, I'm just removing a clump of cells. that would be, you know, that's all. If you truly yeah. believe that, now I can't see your heart, so I don't know if you truly believe that, or if you're just doing it because you're like, uh, it'd be really inconvenient for me to have to raise this thing or have to put it up for adoption or whatever. And, and yeah, that definition is really nice to believe. I think I'll, I'll go with that because it eases the responsibility yeah. and burden of this choice. Yeah. If you, if that's your mindset, then maybe you're on the edge of sinning. But like I said over and over, and I'm very very consistent on this point. I really can't say if you're sinning. By your based on your outward actions, because it's all based on your heart. However, there is one sin that I can think of that is uniformly attached to the action. Okay, that's rape. Okay, and I know this is uncomfortable discussion. It's really, really, really uh, horrifying. But I think that's the one sin which is attached to its action so aggressively that you could condemn it. as long as you have firsthand knowledge of it pretty easily, right? You can, I think you condemn that and be justified in doing so because it's so connected to the sin. I can't think of a, 
uh, intention where you would commit rape and your intention would be good, if that makes sense. I agree. So I think that's that's the one – maybe the one exception to this rule. I, I wouldn't even call it an exception to this rule. It's just – Hang on. You can't condemn it though. You can call it sin. Right. But I would say that would be condemning it, would be calling it a sin. Okay, sure. You can call it a sin, but you can't condemn the person to hell. No, that's not my authority, right? In, in terms of like, I don't just have want to the, clarify yeah, that I don't have the authority to come to help, but I can still say without a shadow of a doubt that's sin. Yep. Where in other circumstances, I could say I actually don't know what his heart was at. I can say that's illegal. That that looks bad. That's that's disgusting. But I can't say that's sin, and I don't have the authority to condemn it to hell. With any other circumstance aside from rape. Yeah, yeah, and and, and with the second part, I, I don't have the authority to condemn anyone to hell because. I deserve hell, same as everybody else. Yep. If it was just me on the throne. And so that's what that was the other thing I wanted to get to is this idea of of pride in your salvation. Because I'm gonna butcher this this quote, but it's it's something like this. The only thing you can do for your salvation is increase your necessity for it. Okay. What does that mean? Basically what it means is a lot of people, especially people in the in the Christian church, Will uh will kind of be stuck up about the fact that they're saved, you know. Like I'm a Christian, you know. I don't, you know, sin isn't really one of my things, you know. I'm I'm perfect, and <laughs> and it's it's pretty absurd to me because it, they act as if they're the ones responsible for their salvation. Yes, as if they did something to save them to save them, but Jesus did all the work. He did literally everything. That, that came to your salvation. So the only thing that you can do for your salvation is increase your necessity to for it by sinning more. You being righteous doesn't negate the fact that you were sinful before. Right? It, it being, might increase your favor with God and, and the peace you receive from God mm-hmm. and the grace you receive from God mm-hmm. and the frequency with which you receive providence and blessings from God. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't increase your probability of salvation. Right. Because, I mean, that's what a just God does. That's what a just person does. Right. You, if, you had a, if you had a judge on a stand, right, and you, and you brought before him a rapist murder, like the horrible crime, but then he was like, hey, but uh, I was actually pretty good for the first 30 years of my life. It's just this last 10 or last two years, it's been really, really rough for me. It's not like that judge is going to be like, oh, you're good, man. I Forget about all the stuff you did in the last two years. You had 30 years of good stuff. No. Yeah, it's not like an act of righteousness doesn't cancel out a sin. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. Mm-hmm. It's not negative numbers and positive numbers and you're trying to reach an absolute zero. Yeah. That's not how it works. It's not a mathematical equation. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the the state of the soul is something beyond human understanding. And at best, we perceive it as sensations. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I'd like to uh, really touch on before we have to conclude, at least for this segment, yeah. is that, and, and Paul says this very well. And so if you want to learn a little bit more of what I'm saying here and what we're referencing, I really encourage you guys to read the letters from Paul to the various churches. Mm. But Paul says that all human beings are sinful by nature. And because they're sinful by nature and all human beings have fallen short of the glory of God, that when they do receive salvation, none of them will have the grounds to boast. No one can be boastful. Mm -hmm. And this is something that Paul uses to justify his extreme humility is the fact that he was saved at his lowest and most sinful point when he was actively persecuting Christians and leading the charge against Christianity. Mm-hmm. And he used that to explain and paint the analogy 
for for humanity's sin and the necessity for salvation Mm. and the fact that in the presence of God because of our sin, the only thing we can do is fear the Lord and lovingly accept his love because we didn't earn it. Mm. It was given to us by grace. Yeah, no, then that's a fantastic segue to the most important question of this entire show. Every segment's wrapped around this. Why Christ? So you, you, I think you pretty much answered a lot of it is this idea that because you, because you have done all these sins, because it's not a, a net zero game, it's yep. not a you can do good stuff to cancel out your bad stuff, because you've already done bad stuff, unless you're watching this as an infant and you haven't, uh, and haven't uh, committed a sin yet, um, everyone watching this has committed a sin at some point in their life. They they have been selfish. They have they have hated. They have uh, they have lied. They have stolen. They've done something. Sure, I mean that, we could write a book about everything we've done. Exa- multiple books, and it would and that puts us under God's condemnation. Sure. So the question is, okay, I'm standing in front of the holy courtroom, right? And I don't know if that's actually how it's going to play out. That's how I've always pictured it, but. We're going to stand before God someday in some shape or form. So I kind of picture a courtroom and we have to testify for all of the sins that we've done in our lives. Sure. And then God's going to have to pass a judgment. So the question is, okay, how do we get a, a uh, non-guilty plea? How do we avoid that condemnation? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I'm actually going to move away from your analogy in order to explain its significance. Okay. So you have Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. Um, the beginning of creation, their one condition to living within paradise is not not eating of the fruit of, of knowledge, right? Of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. Okay. And literally they had one thing they couldn't do. And they're, they're almost like infants, right? Like they choose to do the one thing that they're not supposed to do. And it, it's kind of funny that that nature still resides within people. It's nice that we haven't changed that much. Mm-hmm. But if you tell a kid, don't do that. What are they going to do? They're going to look at you. They're going to smile and they're going to do it. Even if it's putting a fork in an outlet, you know? Yeah. Um, so Christ is everything that Adam wasn't and everything that that we personally couldn't be. Mm. Um, Christ wasn't born with original sin. So his nature was completely godly. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't tarnished by the world. He was God become man. And that's extremely important. And... God was willing to get our attention in a profound way and to undertake suffering on an unimaginable scale. Um, medieval crucifixion or ancient crucifixion is a, a terrible practice. It's about as painful as he gets and it was quite inventive. And Christ literally, he, he took up his cross and he took up suffering for our sake and, and he died for our sins. And that is a Christian cliche. So... Try to hear that like it's the first time you're hearing it, you know, because then it might mean something to you because I feel like we've heard it so much that it's overplayed and and those words really have lost their meaning. But Christ died for our sins to be a replacement for us um, in judgment. And and he descended into hell just as as all men and women should have after they died. You know, even from the most astute and righteous Jews who had committed some sins, you know, those who were righteous with God yet yet still, you know, fell short of the glory of God. Yeah. 
and even the most horrendous individuals. He he took the same punishment as all of them, and he went into went into hell, and, and into Sheol, and and then he rose from the dead, and he did that to to prove that he could conquer death, and and prove that to men, mm-hmm. right? Because they needed some hard evidence in order to believe them. But he also metaphorically proved that that God loved us so much, and he was willing to show so much grace that he was actually willing to die and take our judgment for us and wash us, watch us, wash us clean. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up on my words there. With Christ's blood. Mm-hmm. And, and only Christ could have been enough. And so, in order to avoid condemnation, back to the question, you have to accept Christ into your heart. And if you can accept Christ into your heart, then you have that godly nature within you. You have that that stain, not of sin, but of, of divine nature, of a higher state of being and a higher state of calling. And you mark yourself with the glory of God and, and it, within the body of Christ. And in so doing, you, you almost, and it, it's like a cheat code in real life. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost beyond reason because as human beings, we are so accustomed to tick for tack, eye for eye, mm-hmm. right? That it doesn't make sense that we would be forgiven almost scot-free with the only condition being choosing Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, an external condition of that would be making manifest that that choice, right? Taking up your cross and following Christ and making a difference in the world and expanding upon and and spreading the ideology of Christ. But I still think that even somebody on their deathbed who chooses Christ is capable of receiving redemption mm. because the the grace is ubiquitous across all of humanity. It doesn't matter the circumstance. An escape from sin is, and it has to be heartfelt, but it has to be the choice to accept Christ into your heart. Mm. And to honestly do that, you know, because you can think in your head, yeah, I'm going to accept Christ because that's a real practical thing to do. Yep. Hell doesn't sound too nice. And that's way different than having the heartfelt experience and actually welcoming him into your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and one practical way to do that, actually, because your mind and your heart are so interconnected, um, is to align your thinking in a way that that parallels that action, accepting Christ into your heart. Mm-hmm. No, you're, you're exactly right. And, and just to finish that thought here, because... We're running out of time here, but that I think you're exactly right. But what what's cool? The coolest part about Jesus and all this to answer the why Christ question with yep. regards to sin is it offers a completely unique answer to the problem of sin. There's there's this allegation that there's like there's a thousand religions in in, in world history, and it's and so uh, skeptics go, okay, how am I supposed to pick between these thousands of religions? And sure. That's when so part of this show's purpose is to actually demonstrate the uniqueness of these different answers to these questions. Mm-hmm. And this is one is the most probably fundamental difference between every other religion on the planet mm-hmm. is that when when sin is confronted and every they have different words for it, but when you have a problem of, okay, I, I'm held accountable for sin, what do I do? Every other religion says you got to do X, Y, and Z. And then, and then you'll be justified if you do this, this, and this. If you sacrifice this cow, if you, if you, if you do this good deed, then you will be counted as righteous. But no, no, no. If you lick your elbow, if you do whatever it is, it might be random. Whatever you have to do, 
you can be justified. But in Christianity, it's completely different. It says, no, 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 no. You're completely incapable of actually saving yourself. You, you, the only thing you can do for your salvation is increase your necessity for it. That's all you can do. You are a dirty sinner. That is it. That's the end of the story for you. Unless somebody else comes in and saves you. You can't save yourself. You're drowning. You need the lifeguard to come in and grab you and yank you out of the water. Sure. And that's who Jesus is. The reason Jesus is unique is because he decided he was going to do X, Y, and Z for you. Because he knew you couldn't. And you never can. You never will. So Jesus did it for you. And that's why Christ is unique. And that's why sinners need Jesus. And that is why Christ. And a little introduction into a future episode. Because an escape from condemnation is extremely important. In fact, I would say the most important thing. However, that isn't immediately practical for those of us who have already accepted Christ into our heart or have already accepted that calling to pick up our cross. And so we will expand further on an escape and defense of sin mm. and and practical skills necessary to to avoid the action and, and the intention of sinning. And to summarize it in just a, a brief statement, so that you can kind of null this over and explore it in your own lives. And that is because it's a it's a unique experience within everybody. And we can't exactly just lay out how exactly you are supposed to find joy in God. Um, because that that is a very personal experience. But finding joy in God is your best defense against sin. Because finding joy in God is a selfless venture, right? Sin is very selfish. But joy in the Lord is selfless. And so Amen. I really encourage you guys, actually, and I suppose our prayer for you guys is, is that you can find joy in the Lord and that you can explore ways to increase your joy in the Lord so that you might be um, more of a fortress, right? You might pick up the armor of, of the Lord mm. and you might defend yourself against sin because sin has real and immediate consequences. It interrupts and it corrodes your peace of the Lord, right? And, and the peace of God transcends all understanding. And and in times like this, especially this year, you know, you re, you can really benefit from the peace of God. And it might get in the way of your blessings to your sins, right? Because your blessings might hinge on the necessity that you choose God. And it might inter, interrupt, and this is similar to the blessings, but providence, right? You might not act in a way that glorifies God and that might not be for your benefit, right? And so if you want your very best life, you have to choose God and a higher state of being over sin. And the best way to do that is to find joy in God. And God's everywhere. You know, he's omnipotent, omnipresent being. This is the face of God right here. That cameraman right there, that's the face of God right there. So there, there's an infinite amount of ways to find joy in God. And so I really encourage you guys to to explore that between now and the next episode. I think that's a good ending. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're going to have more of these episodes coming out soon, as Wyatt mentioned. And uh, um, God bless you guys. Yes. God bless. Peace.